Thank you for listening to this message from Faith Builders. Pastors Philip and Michelle Still are dedicated to building your faith and framing your world by the Word of God. There are many more resources available on our website, www.buildfaith.net, where you can find links to our audio and video archives. We also invite you to join us online for our live stream services. Remember to build your faith and frame your world by the Word of God. What a great week we have had. And I have been hearing many testimonies from you of how the Lord has strengthened you in some things that you knew, brought new light to how to apply some of the things that that you have been taught, uh, adjusted and solidified you in some things that you already had the knowledge of. And then there were some utterances that have come forth that have have helped us move forward in some things, some things that the Holy Spirit has said through our pastor that has helped us uh, recognize there's an expectation of what's ahead. Glory to God. I want to, um, as we prepare, wait just a minute, y'all. Are you ready? I'm going to hit the pause button and unpause from last night. Because I just, I couldn't stop, so I just had to pause it. So I'm unpaused. Praise God. Been on pause all day long. So uh, in that, I want to just revisit something that Pastor shared with us last night at the end of the service because the way that the service had moved, um, that, and as he was sitting there on the front row, the Lord gave him this, and, and what a... Um, a perfect timing after we had just talked about how from 1 Corinthians chapter 2, the Holy Spirit will teach you words to say. And and he gave us something that we can say. And I'm going to read this to you. I went ahead and copied it into my journal last night after Pastor had read it to us. And this was what the Holy Spirit gave him for us. It's a, a, a little Holy Spirit Psalm, drink from the well of sorrow no more. Drink from the well of lack and insufficiency no more. Be refreshed at the well of joy and peace. Be refreshed at the well of abundance and more than enough. Refreshing times are here. Refreshing times are here. No more drought and no more fear. Dig your ditches and your wells. The flood is coming, so be prepared. Now, when he said, dig your ditches, I immediately thought of the scripture in the Old Testament where the prophet told the army, go out and make this valley full of ditches. They needed water, and the, the man of God says, go out and start digging trenches all throughout the valley. Uh-huh. Dig ditches. Make this valley full of ditches. And they're like, we're, we're thirsty. We've been for days without water. Our animals need water. We need water. We, we can't even go far enough to find any water before we're going to die. And you're telling us to start digging? Do you know that's manual labor? You know how thirsty we're going to be after we dig? 
But when they got up in the morning, the Lord had filled every ditch. So when he says, dig your ditches, he's saying, make room to capture what I'm about to pour out on you. Make room to retain or contain what I am getting ready to pour out on you. But it was just in the last couple of days that some of you may have seen on the news that they're trying to say it's official and recession is here. But the Holy Spirit gave us this to say in our lives. Recession isn't going to affect me. I do not expect to be affected. But refreshing times are here. That's what I have. Refreshing times. Amen? And so we're learning about the importance of having these Holy Spirit words, the words of, of God written for us, as well as things the Holy Spirit tells us to say, because we are speaking spirits. God created us in his image and in his likeness. When he breathed the breath of life into man, he, man became a speaking spirit. There is no other creation, not even angels, are speaking spirits. Angels have the ability to speak, but they don't have the ability to create with their words. They don't have the dominion of words. God gave man the dominion of words. And so we identified there are three systems that God initiated in Genesis that still operate for man today, and especially for the redeemed man or woman of God we are able to operate those systems in their fullness. They are the authority system, the word system, and the seed system. God established those in Genesis, and they operate together, and they operate for us today. And the more skilled and proficient we are in those three systems, the greater effectiveness we'll have in the kingdom of God because they're kingdom of God systems. Amen. So we are looking at the importance of discipline in the mouth, disciplined tongue, the well-taught tongue. And let's return to Isaiah 50 and let's just rehearse uh, what the Holy Spirit pointed out to us yesterday. Isaiah chapter 50 says in verse 4, the Lord God has given me the tongue of the learned. The Lord God has given me the tongue of the learned that I should know how to speak. Say that with me. The Lord God, the Lord God has, given me has given me the tongue of the learned, the of the learned that, I that I should know how to speak. Hallelujah. It goes on to say to speak a word in season to him that is weary. He wakeneth morning by morning. He wakeneth mine ear to hear as the learned. This phrase, the Lord gives me the tongue of the learned. In the Amplified, it says, The Lord God has given me, his servant, the tongue of disciples. The tongue of disciples. We want to have that kind of tongue. The tongue of a disciple as one who is taught. The tongue of one who is taught. The Message Bible uses a phrase that kind of sticks out to us pretty good. We've, it ended up in the sermon a few times last night. A well-taught tongue. I like that. A well-taught tongue. 
The Lord has given me a well-taught tongue. The Darby translation says, the tongue of the instructed. The tongue of the instructed. The New International Version says, a well-instructed tongue. And uh, N-A-B-R-E says, a well-trained tongue. Trained. Now, I'm going through these because I want you to see the various... Uh, descriptions because they all have to do with a discipline, a training, a teaching, an instruction that our tongue needs for it to work right. You know, you can own a sword, but that doesn't mean you're safe with a sword or dangerous with a sword. You know, somebody gave me a sword, you know, a sword of the spirit, it's decorative, (laughs) <laughs> but I'm not going to walk around the house with it. <laughs> Hallelujah. Why? Because I've never been trained in it. So we, we have a tongue, but not necessarily does everyone have training with their tongue or instruction or boundaries. Have you ever met somebody and they say something and you're like, they have no filter. <laughs> they have no filter. I'm not talking about profanity. I'm just saying they say, they say what they, they, they mean, like, you know, you need to get your new hairdo or something like that. And you're like, you need to be nice. <laughs> so we need instruction. We need teaching. We need discipline. The Good News Translation says, the sovereign Lord has taught me what to say. Yeah. He's taught me what to say. And again, the NASB uses the word the tongue of disciples. And I want to emphasize that one because the word disciple means one who is disciplined. Not disciplined as in chastised or punished, but disciplined as in instructed and and given specific boundaries and specific assignments of what to say, what to speak. So we went a direction last night where we emphasized the value of the word, the power in the word, the authority in the word, that the word of God is the most powerful in the universe, that God used words as containers to transport his power. And we also saw that he uses words to set things in order, to set specific design and flow of things. And we looked at that word framed, how God framed the world by his words. And it means to fashion or put in order. And then when he spoke to Jeremiah, he told Jeremiah that he would would be pulling some things down. He would be setting some things up. He would be building. He would be planting. How is he going to do that? God said, I put my words in your mouth. God said to Uh, Moses, I will be with your mouth. Hallelujah. He said, I will be with your mouth and I will teach you what to say. So when he said, I'll be with your mouth, the miracles and the signs and wonders that were worked in in that, that ministry, you could say, of Moses in his leading the people of God... It was because God had him to speak and God worked with his mouth. Hallelujah. And so God in the same way said to Joshua, as I was with Moses, so will I be with you. How was he with Moses? He was with his mouth. 
And God is no respecter of persons. As he was with Moses and as he was with Joshua, so will he be with you. He will be with your mouth. In the same way he worked with Jeremiah's mouth by putting his word in Jeremiah's mouth, if you'll put God's word in your mouth, God will work in, our, in your situation too. So if we've got the word of God in our mouth, if we've got the word of God and we're speaking it into our situation, we've got God involved in what we're doing. We've got him working in that situation as a partner with us. Praise God. So I want to visit a little bit more on our part tonight. We looked a little bit uh, on the emphasis of God's ability in his word, but I want to come on over into that discipline part that we have uh, a part to play in. And we'll look at Numbers 23, 19. And as you're turning there, Numbers 23 and verse 19, as you're turning there, I want to... Uh, use the example of the uh, respect that we have for something that has great power. For instance, if, if you have ever learned to shoot a gun, you, one of the first things, I remember when I went to a gun safety class, uh, the first thing that they said in that class was, Never point your gun, even if you think it's empty, even if you've already pulled out the magazine and you have cleared the barrel over and over, you still never point that gun at anybody. Even if there's not a bullet in it, not a magazine in it, you've checked and checked and checked it. Why? Because that is, it is too risky for, for human error to take place for you to make the mistake of pointing that gun at somebody in jest. And, and so the rule is you never point that gun unless you are prepared to fire it. You never point it at anybody or anything unless you're prepared to fire it. And so that was like a rule that they hammered into us. And it was a responsibility for something that carries so much power something that carries so much destructive ability that there are rules of safety that go with it. There is a seriousness in how you handle it. There has to be a seriousness in, in, how, in, in how you carry it. You can't just have it in your purse and leave your purse on the ground where anybody could walk up, where a little child could walk up and get it, right? There's a seriousness with it. Well, when, when we look at the Word of God, we need to have a holy reverence for it. Amen. We need to recognize this is the tool that God uses to create everything that exists, what we went through last night. This is the tool that God uses to frame and fashion and put in order and arrange and subdue the entire universe. The orbit is the orbit that it is because of the word of God. The, the light is operating at the speed that it's operating because of God's word. So when I come to the word, I want to respect it with the same reverence and awe for this, is, this isn't just a word. This isn't somebody's word. This is God's word. And when I touch it, when I speak it, when I read it, when I interact with the Word of God, I want to recognize its ability and treat it with the respect 
that is due that word. Hallelujah. And so if I will bring that respect to his word, when I bring his word into my mouth, here's something I want you to, to erase out of your vocabulary. It is what it is. I'm, I'm sorry. Here's the, I, I don't like that one either. But here's the one I want you to erase from your vocabulary. I'm just saying. I am never just saying. If I'm saying, I'm doing something. If I'm saying, I'm operating God's, I'm mimicking God. I'm imitating God. I'm doing something that God, my father does. God spoke and created. Remember, that's the first emphasis. The first mention of, of words being spoken is God creating, not communicating, creating. So when, when I speak, I'm creating. That's why I need to bring a discipline because I need to make sure I want what I'm about to say. That's why I'm never just saying. If I'm saying, I'm moving something. If I'm saying, I'm, I'm creating something. If I'm saying, I'm preparing something. If I'm saying, I'm building. If I'm saying, I'm planting. If I'm saying, I might be pulling something down. Remember Jeremiah, right? I might be rooting something out with my words. And, and, and if I look at my words as trivial, well, I'm just saying... If I look at them as loose, if I look at my words as insignificant, then how am I ever going to use my faith? Because Jesus said in Mark chapter 11 that I need to believe that the words I say will come to pass. That's not just in prayer. That's not just in prayer that I believe that. That's all the time. I discipline myself to know that if I open my mouth, power is coming out of my mouth because I'm created in God's image. My spirit is alive unto God. I am filled with the greater one. Yes. Hallelujah. And his word abides in me. And out of the abundance of my heart, words are coming forth that are, that are initiated by God. Why? Because that's what I've been feeding on. Amen. So I want my words to, me, to be... Uh, only aimed at something I intend to hit. I'm only going to aim my mouth when I intend to do something with it. I want to say that. I intend to say that. And remember one of the scriptures that we looked at last night in Matthew chapter 12, I believe it was verse 49, Jesus said, I only say what my father told me to say. He gave me a prescription, an authoritative prescription of what I should say and what I should speak. So Jesus never aimed his mouth at something he didn't intend to hit. Hallelujah. Glory to God. So in Numbers 23, you thought I forgot. Verse 19, God is not a man that he should lie, neither the son of man that he should repent. And the word repent means to change his mind. He's not the son of man that he should repent. Hath he said and shall he not do it? That's what I want us to see here. This is the, the attitude that we have concerning the word of God. If God has said it, he will do it. Have he, not, have he said it 
and shall he not do it? In other words, of course. If he said it, if God said it, he will do it. God will never say it and then not do it. If he goes so far as to say it, it's established. If it's settled, the word calls, it says the word is forever settled in heaven, established in heaven. So if God said it, if he goes so far as to bring it out of his mouth, he's already put his willingness to complete it behind those words and the powers in the word to do it. And then it says, shall, if, have he not spoken, hath he spoken, and shall he not make it good? So if he says it, he'll do it, and if he speaks it, he will make it good. Glory to God. Now, we're talking about you and I working with his word. Yes, our words are a part of it, but I want you to see the responsibility that we have to be voices for his word, to be, to be the ones carrying and distributing his word. Hallelujah. So... This same attitude, this same seriousness needs to be with us. Now, let me give you another image, another example that will build an inner image for you. Isaiah 55, in verse 10 and 11, these verses talk about how the word of God works for him. How God's word works for God. And he tells us this on the heels of inviting us to operate his ways and his thoughts. He says in the previous verses, let the wicked forsake his ways and the unrighteous man forsake his thoughts. And then he says, my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my ways your ways. And then he begins to compare how far in contrast they are from each other, from the heavens and the earth. That's how much my ways are higher and my thoughts are higher. And then in the very next verse, he begins to speak about his word because his words are the containers of his ways and his thoughts. The ways and the thoughts are transported in his words. So he says in verse 10, as the rain comes down and the snow from heaven and returns not there, but waters the earth and makes it bring forth and bud. So what has he just described here? Do y'all remember when we were in science class, biology, not biology, science class, and they would have that little diagram and it would have the cloud with the rain coming down and then it would have the ground and it would try to show some evaporation coming up off the ground and then going out over the ocean and going back up into the air and it had those little arrows going from each picture right and it was it was showing us how that process that operates in the earth to keep the water it, from the ground, back up into the atmosphere, falls back down on the ground, back up into the atmosphere. And God has just described that when he is discussing how his word works for him. He says, 
In the same way, the rain and the snow, what are those? Moisture. They are moisture that causes the earth, the seed that's in the earth, to bring forth, to, to germinate and to bring a harvest. He said, in the same way that the rain comes down and waters the earth and makes it bring forth so that it will give seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes forth out of my mouth. This is how my word works. My word comes down and waters your life and then out of that harvest of the word, as you begin to see yourself operating in the word, let's say for instance, 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 17, behold, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature, old things are passed away, all things are created new and you receive that word and it gets down into your ground and then th- that, that you begin living it out. You began to have that harvest of it and you began to to live like you're a new creature in Christ Jesus and you see yourself as a new creature in Christ Jesus and you begin to exercise authority like a new creature in Christ Jesus and then you begin to tell people on your job about what it's like to be a new creature in Christ Jesus and they can be one too, right? And then we begin to, to live that out and, and that process, you're receiving the word, you're bringing back into the kingdom, you're receiving of the word, you're, you're bringing back, and God says, that's how my word is working in your life. Hallelujah. He said, this is how my word works for me. So shall my word be that goes forth out of my mouth. This is how the word works for me. The word goes out of my mouth and it will not return to me empty, void, with no effect. No, when my word goes out of my mouth, it will produce, it will achieve, it will accomplish. He said, it will not return to me void, it shall accomplish. What is it going to accomplish? What he wants. The will of God. The will of God. If, you're, if you are, are feeding on the word and meditating on the word and sowing the word in your heart, the will of God's being produced. He said, my word goes out of my mouth and produces and accomplishes my will and it will prosper, it will push forward, it will break out, it will come mightily against, that's the definition for prosper, push forward. The word of God will push forward against the limitation, against the hindrance, against the adversity, against the curse, against the sickness, against the depression, against the oppression. The word of God will break out of whatever may be trying to hold you in bondage or hold you down or limit you. The word of God will come mightily against. Hallelujah. And it will cause to prosper. Those are the definitions for this word prosper. The word will do those things. And how does God get his word working? It comes out of his mouth. Well, this is not just for God. We're made in his image. God wants every one of us to have these results with his word in our mouth. He wants when we speak... When we speak his word, that his will, it doesn't return empty. It accomplishes the will of God in my life. 
When I speak the word of God, it pushes forward against that adversity. It comes mightily against that limitation. So God wants me to have this result. And that's one of the reasons he helps me discipline my tongue. So let's go to the book of James. And let's talk about this discipline in the tongue. James chapter 3, because there is a process to develop maturity in the tongue. There's a process to develop this this maturity in the tongue. James chapter 3, I want to read verse 2. For in many things we offend all. So let's just stop right there and read the Amplified. And while we're switching over to the Amplified, the word offend means to cause to stumble. And we'll see that here. In verse uh, 2 of the Amplified, for we all often stumble and fall and offend in many things. And if anyone does not offend in speech, never says the wrong things. That's our high watermark right there, folks. That's our objective. That's our aim right there, that we never say the wrong things. Remember, Jesus never, never had to retract. He developed his tongue. He said, I only say what the Father has told me to say. And, and that's why faith, when he spoke to the wind, the wind obeyed him. He was highly developed in faith. I remember hearing Charles Capps make the statement that he often had people come to him and, and remark that it seemed like they would try to make a faith statement. And they would, they would you know, quote the scripture and, and say, you know, it's working for me. I'm blessed going in and I'm blessed coming out. They tried to say something that was a faith statement. And they said, it seems like it takes forever before I see it begin to work in my life. But it, I can just say one doubt statement and boom, it has manifested. And, that's, and, and he would explain to them, that's because you are more developed in that doubt than you are in faith. If you will just begin to develop yourself in, in that other direction, in the faith direction, you'll find... So it's not overnight. It's not immediate. It's not something that is, you know, a Burger King drive through Have it your way today. We've got to discipline, right? We've got to grow in this. We've got to take those areas where the Holy Spirit is teaching us not to say that. You know, in Romans chapter 10, it says the righteousness which is of faith does the, the righteousness which is of faith speaketh on this wise. Do not say. Isn't that interesting? The righteousness which is of faith. In other words, faith comes and builds within us a, a recognition of who we are as the righteousness of God. And one of the things that that righteousness then begins to, to correct us in is what we're saying. The righteousness which is of faith speaketh on this wise. Do not say in, that it, God needs to come down from heaven or that Jesus needs to come out. No, do not say, but what saith it? So what does the righteousness which is of faith tell, tell us to say? What does it say? The word is near me. 
See, it's correcting our speech. That sense of who we are, that recognition of who we are that comes from the word teaches us. The Holy Spirit teaches us what to say in situations. So never saying the wrong things is obtainable. Woo! I'm, I'm excited already. We can do it. We can do it because it says right here, if anyone does not offend in speech, never says the wrong things, he is a fully developed character and a perfect, and that word perfect means well-developed or mature, mature in spiritual things, has to do with how we control our tongue. If you've got to get the last word in, there's help for you right here. If you've got to give that waitress a piece of your mind when they have just totally neglected to refill your tea glass, there's help for you right here. That fully developed character and that mature spiritual person is a person who has learned to discipline their mouth in line with the word and in line with the leading of the Holy Spirit. Hallelujah. But notice there's more to this. That's, that's our part, to be matured and developed to the point that we never say the wrong things. But if I make that, if I reach that level, you know what else is going to happen? I will be able to control my whole body and curb my entire nature. Woo, hallelujah. See the benefit that's going to come with this maturity? That we will be able to control our whole body. Able to control our whole body and curb our entire nature. How? Right here with the tongue. With disciplining the tongue. How do I discipline my tongue? Well, the next verse says, Behold, we put bits in the horse's mouth. Now, the bit in the mouth of the horse is not a punishment for the horse. It's not a chastisement for the horse. It's training. It is to bring that horse into a place of submission and bring it under control of the one who is riding. So the way that the rider maintains control of the horse is with the pressure on its tongue. Normally, if you've got a horse that's been well-trained and, and rightly trained, it's not a heavy bit. It's not a painful bit. It's just a light pressure on the tongue. Their mouth doesn't bleed. They don't have pain when you take it out. It's just a pressure on their tongue that they know to yield to it. When that pressure is put on their tongue, they know to respond a certain way. Hallelujah. And that's what example is being set forth for us, that there is a, a training that will help us to turn and a, a training that will help us to make adjustments. We put bits in the horse's mouth. Why? That they may obey us and we turn the whole body. So the obedience is the result that we're looking for. We want obedience, and we want to be able to turn the direction of that horse. 
We want to be able to direct the course that horse is taking. God's talking about our tongue, though. And he's using this example, but he's talking about our tongue. How can we put a bit in our mouth? Well, the scripture, if we, if we set a boundary of what we're going to say, that if it violates scripture, I'm not going to say it. If it goes against 1 Corinthians 13, I'm not going to say it. If it's not kind, the law of kindness, I mentioned that last night. Proverbs 31 says that the Proverbs 31 woman has the law of kindness in her mouth. So there, there is a bit that we put in that's provided by the Word of God to help us know how to uh, uh, bring the obedience to what we're saying. Bring the obedience to how we are, are moving in the direction that we're moving in. And I'm going to give you an example because sometimes you could say that and you're like, okay, but how do I apply that? Well, Jesus gave us a great example of how do we apply that? How do we take the word of God and speak it out of our mouth and it become like a bit in our mouth that will cause us to course change or obey? Luke 17, Jesus was teaching about forgiveness. And he said in verse 3, Take heed to yourselves. If your brother trespass against you, rebuke him, and if he repent, forgive him. And if he trespass against you seven times in a day, and seven times in a day turns again to you and says, I repent, you will forgive him. And the apostles evidently thought that was going to be a difficult uh, thing to, to accomplish because they said, Lord, whew, seven times in a day? If he turns to me and says, he repents, I have to forgive him. Lord, increase our faith. Increase our faith. And, and Jesus said in verse 6, if you had faith as a grain of mustard seed, and I'm going to use the, the amplified here, you could say to this sycamine tree, be thou plucked up by the root and be planted in the sea, and it would obey you. And we use this as a teaching on the application of faith, but what's he talking about? How to forgive. How to increase our faith for what? To be able to forgive this person who wrongs me and then seven times repents of it before the sun even goes down. I got to forgive him that many times. You need to increase my faith. He said, no, here's what you need. If you had faith, you would say to that unforgiveness, you be plucked up and planted in the sea. What's that sycamine tree represent? Well, the sycamine tree was the kind of tree they used to build coffins. You know, Rick Renner goes through that whole teaching on, on what the sycamine tree represents. But the application here is you would say to that unforgiveness, you would say to that unforgiveness, be plucked up and be planted in the sea. I forgive this person. I forgive them by, by obedience to the word of God. And I say, unforgiveness, you be removed. You're not going to stand in my way. Be planted in the sea. And what's going to happen? It would obey you. What's it going to do? It would submit 
We put bits in the mouths of horses so that they will obey us. So we put the word in our mouth and we say, the Lord says, if I have anything against anybody, drop it, leave it, let it go. I forgive them in accordance with Mark 11, 24 and 25. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So this bit in my mouth is the word of God to forgive that person and I say it. I've got to say it. And then I need to leave it said. Amen? Amen. Let me give you another example. Psalm 42. We're talking about how to put the bit in our mouth. Because that's the illustration. God wants us to see ourselves not with a punishment in our mouth. The bit's not punishment. Psalm 42. The bit is not punishment. The bit is, is um, training. It's training. And that's what we need. We need a well-taught tongue. We are dealing with the most powerful things in the universe, God's words. There is nothing more powerful in the universe. God put his power in the words. And then he wants us to deal with them. So for us to deal with them correctly. You know, if you were in a nuclear plant, you don't just treat those containers with that nuclear power in it just randomly. You don't just toss it around, right? There's, there's a way you approach it. There's a way you handle it. And that's what he's saying. We've got to train the tongue so that we can deal with the power of God effectively. Psalm 42, let's look at verse 5. Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you disquieted in me? Hope thou in God, for I shall yet praise him for the help of his countenance. And then verse 11 says the same thing. So evidently, the first time it needed to be repeated. I got to put that bit in my mouth again. Why? Because evidently, the soul was still cast down and and disquieted within him. So he put that bit back in his mouth and said, listen here, we're going to hope in God. We are not going to be all gloom, despair, and agony on me. Not going to sing that song today. We're not going to be grumpy today. We're not going to be cranky today. We're not going to, to have that, that uh, uh, anxiety look on our face. No. What are we going to do? We're going to hope in God. And he says it again. Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you disquieted within me? Hope. Thou in God, for I shall yet praise him who is the health of my countenance and my God. So here we see this in the mouth, directing and turning how we're going to act and how we're going to look at this situation. Why do I have to say it? Well, because words spoken release the power. Words thought haven't released any power yet. Jesus did not think, I'm the son of God. I don't need to cast these stones. I don't need to turn these stones into bread. I don't need to cast myself down. He opened up his mouth and he said, it is written. And with the word of God, the written word, he pronounced what God had spoken. And in the pronunciation is the release. He 
said, if any man will say to this mountain, not think, not meditate, there is the meditation even of the Bible is uh, including the operation of our mouth. That we're, we're meditating it to ourselves verbally. Why? Because we're speaking it. So he says, hope in God. Hallelujah. Joel chapter 3 gives us another example. We're talking about how do I put a bit in my mouth and turn. Turn the direction, turn my thoughts. We just saw that I can put the word in my mouth and I can turn my, my life towards an obedience to forgive anybody who's done something wrong to me. I can put the bit in my mouth and I can turn my feelings from oppression and get them over there to hoping in God and expecting the good. And Joel chapter 3 verse 10 says, Beat your plowshares into swords and your pruning hooks into spears and let the weak say, I am strong. Why? Because that's the bit they need to have in their mouth. I am strong. They don't need to say what they're feeling. They don't need to say what they're thinking. They don't need to say what they're seeing. They need to say, I am strong. Hallelujah. I've got another example for you. Let's go over to Jeremiah chapter 15. And I'm going to use the Amplified in this as well. Jeremiah 15. The Amplified really helps me in this one, make it a little bit clearer Sometimes in the King James, you have to work through some of the old English of it. But the Amplified, Jeremiah 15, 18. Jeremiah evidently is got his mouth connected to his feelings. And it's not going well. <laughs> He's got his mouth connected to his feelings on a bad day. And it's not going well. Listen to him here. We're reading verse 18. Why is my pain perpetual and my wound incurable, refusing to be healed? Do you think this is lining up with the word? No, he's not, he's not speaking in line with what God has spoken. He is, just, he is just spoken by what he's seeing, what he's feeling. He says, my pain is perpetual. My wound is incurable, refusing to be healed. He's talking to God. This is his prayer. Will you indeed be to me like a deceitful brook, like waters that fail and are uncertain? Therefore, thus saith the Lord to Jeremiah. Now we're going to hear God's response. If you return and give up this mistaken tone of distrust and despair then I will give you again a settled place of quiet and safety and you will be my minister. And if you separate, look, if you separate the precious from the vile, what's in his mouth? Is it precious or vile? Is it truth or darkness? Is it light or darkness? Is it truth or is it deception? He is speaking in line with what the circumstance is telling him. It's not working out for me. I got too much month at the end of my money. I never can make ends meet. Why is my pain perpetual? Why is my wound incurable? How come nothing ever goes right for me? How come I take one step forward and two steps back? Can you hear him? Can you hear him? And God says, you've got vile in your mouth. What you've got in your mouth is not valuable it's not precious 
It's not powerful. It's deceit. It's, it's the lie that the enemy's been telling you by the circumstance. The broadcast of the circumstance has been feeding you the wrong information, and now you've let it get in your mouth. And so he says, if you will separate that, do you see the, the discipline in the mouth? The discipline, a well-taught tongue takes out those phrases and those um, tones and those reports that don't line up with what God has spoken and what God has promised and what God has revealed in his word. And God can't take it out of our mouths for us. We have to, to hear that instruction of the Holy Spirit. And I, I'll just speak for myself. I have opened up my mouth and said some things that I didn't know I had in me sometimes. I'm like, did I just say that? Lord, forgive me. Not cussing. That's, I, God cut out my cusser a while back, a <laughs> long time ago. But there would just be some times that I would just, just make a statement and, and you could just, it was just hollow. You know, it was trying to be a face statement, but it just feather just floated right down to the ground. There wasn't any, any, any power in it. Why? Because I hadn't stored up any power from the word in there. So he said we've got to separate the precious from the vile. Cleansing your own heart from unworthy and unwarranted suspicions concerning God's faithfulness. He said, if you'll separate this, you will be my mouthpiece. But do not yield to them. Let them return to you, not to you, the people. So he said, if you'll make this separation and if you will put the bit in your mouth of my word so that you're speaking in line with me, so that your words are in line with my words, then you can be my mouthpiece. Hallelujah. That's our objective. We want to put the bit in our mouth. Now let's go back to James. Hallelujah. And let's look at verse 4. So his first example for us was a bit in the mouth. What does it do? It causes obedience and a direction change. The next thing he uses as an example is a ship and its rudder. He said, behold also the ships. Look at these ships. So he wanted us to look at how we put a bit in the mouth of the horse. And he wants us to look at how a ship is steered, how a ship is governed. Behold also the ships, which though they be so great. Now he is emphasizing their size. So now we, we recognize he's talking about our life. He's emphasizing the size of the ship. He's talking about big situations in our life or the direction of our life or those, those large situations. The ships, even though they are so great and they are driven of fierce winds, that ship, when that wind is blowing, that ship is at the mercy of what those winds are doing to drive it. But it says, even though they are driven of fierce winds, yet they are turned about with a very small helm. In comparison to the size of the ship, the helm, that little rudder, is very small in comparison to how big the ship is. 
And most people think, I need God to do something big, and God just wants to give them the right words to say that will turn the whole ship. And they're like, no, no, I need you to move big. God, I need you to do something big. And God said, I am. I'm going to turn this whole situation by putting my word in your mouth. That's enough. That's enough. If God gives us words to speak into that situation, be diligent to speak those words and watch how the situation turns. No matter how fierce the winds of adversity are, it's still turning. No matter how those winds are blowing and trying to push you off course, if you'll maintain the word in your mouth, it will cause the course of God to be underway regardless of how the winds are blowing. Now, last night I used an example of Pastor Caldwell and Sister Jeannie Caldwell, but I'm going to just use it again in this instance because there was a day as they were driving down the road and a, 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 a tire truck hit them from behind and such force hit their car I think their car may have been at a standstill. It was, at, at a, a, it was stopped when this truck hit them from behind, broke the, the seats they were sitting in, their shoes came off their feet, his watch flew off his hand, they're both laid out unconscious in the car, and the winds of adversity are fierce, blowing in this situation. They, they, they think that there is a broken uh, uh, spinal uh, uh, column. They think there are, are broken places in her spinal column. They are, are... Before that moment, though, when he is just becoming conscious, he's hearing a knock on the door of the, the window of the car door, and someone is saying, Are you okay? Are you okay? Are you okay? And as he is gaining consciousness and coming awake, the Holy Spirit warns him, you be cautious about how you answer that. And he said, we will be all right. He just set the course. The rudder, no matter how much the storm is blowing now, the rudder has already set the direction of how this is going. And so they have her in the emergency room. They're running the x-rays. And they say to her, it looks like you have these breaks in your vertebrae. And we need to go in and put in these metal rods the size of this ink pen into your back. And we need to do it right away. And she said, no. No. My back is not broken, and, I, and, and she did not have peace about doing it and said, I, I, I believe that God will heal me and, and that I, I don't need to have that surgery, and so she refused it, and so they called Pastor Caldwell in and said, we think your wife is delirious. Do you remember exactly how she said it, Deborah? Did she say, uh, I know Jesus loves me, God loves me too much. Thank you. God loves me too much to let, my, let me be paralyzed. That's what she said. God loves me too much. She was trusting in the love of God. And that's how she answered it. 
So now she's got her rudder in the water. You see, she's, she's got her, she's steering, and he's steering, and they're both steering in the same direction. And they come to Pastor Cola, and they say, we think your wife is delirious. She really needs to have this surgery. And he said, if she says that she does not need to have that surgery, I'm not going to force her to do it. And, of course, they called the different ministers that they had relationships with. And, and Pastor Caldwell remarks about how each of them prayed in a different way. He said, R.W. Shambach called and said, uh, the Lord God. And with his, his evangelistic, uh, deep voice, and, and, and he prayed a, a prayer of faith. And then... Uh, uh, he called Oral Roberts, was one of them that he called, and Oral Roberts said, I'm going to put my, wife on, uh, my hand on my wife's back, and I want you to put your hand on your wife's back. And so he, he prayed uh, the prayer of faith, and then he said, put her on the phone, and he, well, actually, he said, tell her uh, to, to, to sit up. And he said, Oral says. He's like, Oral says for you to sit up. Oral says for you to put your legs over the side of the bed. Oral says. And so she did those things, and then he had her lay back down, and he said, this is what Oral Roberts said, and, and I always remember it because of how important this step is. He said, now don't get back over into your head. So he had her do that. Now, she's laying there flat on the bed, and the Lord said to her, I want you to stay flat for 30 days. And at the, is it 30 days? At the end of that 30 days, uh, you'll be healed. So the, the, there were fractures there. She did not have peace about having the surgery. God gave her a specific direction, and she stayed in the bed for 30 days following the instruction the Lord gave her. And at the end of that 30 days, she got up. She didn't tell her husband. She had not told pastor this at the beginning. She was just following what God had told her. The end of that 30 days, she got up and she was whole. And when she went back to the doctor after that 30 days, they thought she had the surgery because of how well her back looked on the x-rays. And she said, no, I didn't have the surgery. And he looked closer. He goes, well, what happened? And she said, the Lord healed me. But notice... They both had their mouth directing against, it was a storm, and the, the winds were fierce, trying to drive that storm in a different direction. But their words set the course like a rudder in the ship. When our third child, my, my third child, Angela, was born, she was born with having experienced trauma in the birth canal. And, in, you know, when you have a baby and they are over there cleaning the baby up and getting all of the umbilical cord fixed and everything and wrapping her up and then they bring her back to you, I'm waiting. You're like, I, okay, bring her on back. <laughs> I have a baby, I'm ready to hold her. And the nurses kept her, and they kept her, and they kept doing something, and I'm watching, and they're giving each other looks, and before you know it, they, they brought her to me and, and gave me a little bottle to start feeding her, and, in just a, and they're watching. And in just a moment, as she's trying to suck on that bottle, she starts turning blue, and they take her back, and they put her under oxygen, and 
and and a few more minutes, and they notice she's still turning blue, and they take her out. I'm like, where are they going with my baby? And a few moments later, a doctor comes in. They say, the doctor's going to come in and talk to you. And before the doctor comes in, one of the nurses is over there kind of putting the room back together after the birth and everything. And they said, well, you know, it'll be just a minute. The doctor's going to come in and talk to you. And uh, she was doing things like, here's the TV button. And she clicked it, and the TV came on, and she, you know, here's some water, and she walks out and leaves us there wondering why have they taken our child out of the room. But when she clicked the TV on, Brother Copeland was on. And Brother Copeland was in a a teaching, and he was teaching from Psalm 112, Psalm 112. And at the moment that he turned on, when she walked out of the room, and we're just kind of speechless, what do we say, what do we do? And we look up at the screen and there's Brother Copeland and he is quoting Psalm 112, verse 7. He shall not be afraid of evil tidings. His heart is fixed, trusting in the Lord. Thank you, Lord. And in a few moments, the doctor comes in and the doctor says, we don't know if your daughter has a heart problem. We don't know what's the matter. She's turning blue. All we know is we're going to rush her immediately in the ambulance over to Children's Mercy. And your husband will need to follow. But you can't leave because you just had a baby and we've got to keep you overnight. And so the doctor walks out, leaves us with no answers. But God has already given us the course. We put the bit in our mouth. We put the rudder on our ship. The wind of adversity was fierce. It was blowing against us. They're they're saying it's a possibility. She's got a heart condition. It's a possibility of this. It's a possibility of that. And all we have is is Psalm 112, our heart is fixed. We took hands. We agreed. We will not fear. Our heart is fixed, trusting in the Lord. And we set that rudder. From that moment on, we were sticking with that. Our heart is fixed, trusting in the Lord. And within the week... They said, look at this baby who has healed herself. And, of course, we knew it wasn't herself. It was the Lord. She had suffered a a punctured lung uh, in the birth canal. And so uh, the Lord uh, rapidly brought her back to restoration. But that scripture came for us to set the rudder against that wind that was driving so fierce. If I had not had the word in my mouth, what would have wanted to be in my mouth? All of those possibilities that the doctor left me with. I didn't have to put any of them in my mouth because regardless of what it was, I'm trusting in the Lord and my heart is fixed on Him. Hallelujah. In our newsletter today, I shared uh, this week that's coming out, I shared a story that has always impacted me from an aspect of prayer, but um, a a dear pastor friend that we have from Birmingham, Alabama, he and his wife uh, had a couple in their church, a young couple with a young baby, and uh, this whole family, the couple and, and their parents were coming to the church, and one day this young mother was cooking. She lived in a trailer She was cooking, and she had the baby in a a car seat carrier, a baby carrier, on the kitchen table. 
as she was cooking and preparing their meal. And the, the stove, the uh, skillet on the stove that was full of hot grease began to smoke. And she wanted to move it off of the stove before it ignited. So she grabs this skillet full of hot grease. I'm talking about Alabama. You know, we fry things in the South. And so she grabs this, this skillet that is full of hot grease. And she goes, the, the door is to the outside, is right behind her. It's kind of propped open. So she's going to move this smoking skillet and, and let get it out before it fills the house with smoke. And in doing so, that grease spilled over into the carrier and burned the baby over most of its body. They go to the burn unit of the children's hospital and the church hears about it and different people from the church come out to to minister with prayer and faith and encourage the family. And the of course, the first thing that they had to do was believe God for the vital signs to be stabilized because it was so badly burned that they weren't sure, you know, if the, if the child was even going to survive. And so they began to pray for the vital signs and for the, the, the things to become stable. And praise God, the baby began to be stable, but the burns were so severe over this child's body that the doctors came to the parents and said, there's not enough healthy skin to do a skin graft. And the burns are so deep, there are no skin buds left on the skin. And they said, what do you, what do you mean, no skin buds? And they said, it's like if you go out into your front lawn and you dig, you take a, an excavator down so deep that you go underneath all of the grass and the roots of the grass until all that's left is just the mud and the dirt. There's no way for grass to grow because you've taken all the top layer that had the grass seed in it. That's what's happened to this child's skin. The burns have gone so deep, there are no buds left. It's gone down so deep, there's nothing left to reproduce more skin. And so the doctors were pretty much saying, there's nothing we can do. There's no way we can treat your child. We can't do a skin graft. And, and even trying to regrow the skin is impossible because there are no skin buds left. And so they offered this, this couple no hope. There's no way we can treat your baby. And so the church began to ask God, what do we do? And the Lord gave the pastor's mother who is a, a part of that prayer team, a scripture. Job 41, 23. Can you put that up on the screen for me? It's not talking about a person. And when God gave it to her, she said, Lord, can I use this scripture? He said, that's why I gave it to you. And she took this scripture and they began to pray this scripture. And it says in Job 41, verse 23, the flakes of his flesh are joined together they are firm in themselves. They cannot be moved. She is talking about Leviathan in context, but God said, that's the scripture I want you to pray over it, over this baby. The flakes of his flesh are joined together. They are firm in themselves. They cannot be moved. And they began to pray that verse over this baby. 
And the doctors had to come in with shock and disbelief and say, God has done a miracle because your baby's skin is starting to grow. It was such a witness to the other families in that burn unit that they began because, you know, every day on that wall would be the updates of what's going on with each of the different children in that burn unit. And the other families went from seeing this child who was hopeless and near death. Every day there was better, increase, increase, improvement, improvement, improvement. And it became a witness and the other people began turning to this family and to the church family saying, can you pray for our child too? But God gave them something to put in their mouth. God gave them a scripture that became a rudder in the midst of a fierce, the fierce wind of that situation was so, so hopeless and so adverse. How are we ever going to change this? A small rudder. A small rudder. That child went on to graduate high school and live a normal life. They had said he'll never, he had been burned so severely in, and that parts of his body had melted and they didn't think it would regrow. Normal life. Normal life. Why? Because God put a rudder, a very small thing for this family. Can you imagine that they're sitting there looking at the, Job 41, 23, against this situation I'm facing? To look at their child burned over three quarters of its body with a a pretty much there's no treatment for the situation as bad as it is. And all I have is a rudder in the water. But that's all they needed was a rudder in the water. Because it can turn no matter how fierce the winds are. Hallelujah. 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 James chapter 3, we're going to close right here. This is the icing on the cake for us right here. The, the, the bit in our mouth and the rudder in our storm. Hallelujah. In James, let's go back to chapter 3. He's given us a bit in the mouth. He's given us a rudder that we can steer no matter how fierce the winds are. And verse 5. Even so the tongue is a little member and boasts great things. The tongue is a little member. Oh, but what great things it can do. What great things it can do. This is positive. He's saying the, the, the tongue can turn the whole body. The tongue can turn even in the storm. The tongue is a little member, but it is able to accomplish great things. It's able to achieve great things. And then he uses another illustration. How great a matter a little fire kindles. Well, have you ever made a fire? Maybe at a campsite or in in your fireplace. Have you ever built the fire? You want a big roaring fire. You want like marshmallows melting on my my. Uh, a s'more stick kind of fire, right? I want a fire, but it doesn't start that way. What does it start with? Kindling. 
for you to get the fire you want, you're going to have to start with the kindling. And for you to get the results that you want, that you see from the word of God, you're going to have to start kindling it. You're going to have to start taking the tender, the kindle, and, and begin to work on the fire. You want a blazing fire. And you'll get a blazing fire if you'll just keep blowing on the kindling. If you'll keep working on the kindling. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. How great a matter a little fire kindles. Somebody's going to walk up and say, wow, look what, look what God's done in your life. Look how this happened, and you'll, you'll know what he gave you to start the fire with. You'll know the scripture that was the kindling that got you to where you are. When God spoke to us about coming out of debt personally, it looked way beyond our capacity. But we committed to it. And he gave us a scripture from Psalm 68 that says, he brings out those which are bound by chains. That was my scripture. He brings out, because I had been in bondage to those payments long enough. Every time I got some money in, it went right back out, and I was tired of that. (laughs) It was bondage to earn money And it go out as fast as it came in. It's already accounted for before it ever hits my bank account. That was bondage. And and so I stood on that. Lord, you bring out those which are bound by chains. And I can look back and see the result. But I know the kindling I started with. I know the kindling that I started with. And whatever it is that you are endeavoring to believe God for, just know that a great, a great blazing fire is started by that kindling. You are doing something when you're saying something. When you're speaking the word of God, you are kindling that promise into a full blazing manifestation. Praise God. Let's lift our hands and thank God for all that we've received. Father, we come to you so grateful. Lord, what you've deposited in us this week We have yet to see the fullness of how it's going to play out in our lives. Lord, we receive and embrace the revelation, the utterances, the Holy Spirit challenges that have been brought to us this week. We declare refreshing times are here. We declare we abound and we increase and we have all sufficiency in all things. We declare that we approve those things which are excellent and we walk in the light of your will. Father, as we walk throughout the situations and the circumstances in our life, we thank you that you have equipped our mouth with the rudder to keep us on course. In Jesus' name, amen. Praise God. Glory to God.